Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an exciting episode of the Men Talk podcast, where we speak about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is someone very interesting. Not only has he gone through his own infertility journey, but he is also a fertility health consultant. His name is Mark Hinane. Mark, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself, share a little bit of your story, your background, and then we will go from there. The floor is yours. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, first, let me say that this podcast and what you're doing for the the men of infertility is huge. It's powerful. Your service is needed. And uh, I hope this thing gets huge for all the people that I think it's going to help. Um, so thanks again. Um, so yeah. My, hello, everyone. My name is Mark Hanane. Uh I work with people who are looking to address fertility uh, through more of a, a metabolic health methodology, if you will. Uh, and I started really from the IVF community. So I've been in IVF as an embryologist. So people usually think that's pretty cool. There's not a lot of us on, on the planet. Uh, and I've been doing that for, you know, over 12 years now. So I have a very different perspective and observations of what fertility looks like, where I've been visually looking at eggs and sperms and, and uh, sperm and embryos, you know, for, you know, most of my adult life. So I tend to have a, just a different perspective as to where we're going from like a different viewpoint. I have my own thoughts. And some of those would be that in my opinion, I think that the quality of eggs and the quality of sperm are getting worse visually and also as i manipulate them to perform things like ICSI, i do feel that there is a difference and how how is that uh, an example is uh, when it comes to the eggs uh, outside of just the way they look right um, when you're taking that needle in the lab and you're picking up a sperm and you're going to inject it you you get a little bit of sensation as you inject and you break through the membrane of those eggs and you can really tell if there's very low membrane integrity or if the cytoplasm is too thick or too watery there's just these these little feelings that it was hard to describe to somebody that's never done it but in in my opinion the the eggs are definitely getting worse of course women are getting older and trying older um, and then when it comes to, to the men, we're seeing lower counts, but what's more concerning to me is uh, the morphology of sperm is definitely getting worse, right? And that's a problem because whenever I think morphology, I think function. So if something doesn't have the right shapes, then it also means a decrease in its functionality and could also mean uh, you know, fragmented or 
issues with the chromosome in chromosomes inside that sperm, you know? So that's kind of, you know, starting off with my observations with that and uh, being in that position, you know, you don't get any windows. It's kind of a, it's a box. It's a dark place in, in uh, physically. And one day I realized, Hey, I want to be able to serve this community differently. And as great as it is to be an embryologist, um, you can't do anything with, you can't do anything to change the quality of those eggs and sperm. So I wanted to find a way to improve people's chances by helping them with their health in the first place. So that's kind of really where my heart has been leading. It's where I like to serve. It's where I feel the most useful and the most passionate. Uh, it's much broader. It's far less repetitive because every everybody's different. Everybody's health status is different. And um, luckily I stumbled upon my mentor, Dr. Anthony G. Beck, and he created a protocol called Balance Protocol. And it is probably the most comprehensive methodology for quantifying an individual and addressing uh, four factors to collectively improve health, right? And those factors are environment, lifestyle, mindset, and nutrition, right? And now when you address all four of these, you really can get some extremely profound effects. And uh, I kind of chose and well asked him if he would teach me because I spent a lot of time, as many of you have, uh, especially you fellows who are trying to improve your sperm, you've undoubtedly looked up, you know, what supplements, how should I eat, you know, how often should I work out? And if you're anything like me, you got to a point where you said, well, I'm reading this thing and it's saying that it's super, uh, this particular thing is great for me. And then I read this thing and it says the exact opposite. And it kind of makes you want to give up. That's what, that's what happened to me. I kind of wanted to give up on the pursuit of trying to find out what, what's healthy and what's not. And then here comes my mentor and he said the magic word and the magic word was context, 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 context. He says context uh, uh, cubed because everything that can give benefit can also do harm, right? Broccoli in most cases, let's say is healthy, but if you eat, you know, a pound of broccoli every single day, you're going to have negative impact. That's, that's, that's a fact. That's true. So context is important. And what I've been taught and I utilize in, in my um, consulting business is that every single person is a biochemical individual. And therefore what works for one person doesn't work for the other. So true. I mm -hmm. want to take a step back for a second because yeah, you look at do. embryos all day long. This is what you do for a living. You guide people what's healthy, what's not healthy. Oh yeah, ask away. I, I don't <laughs> think a lot of people will get the chance to ask embryologists questions. Yeah, no, it's a great opportunity. What's tell our audience? What's the deal with grading embryos? I mean, people go crazy. A A A B B B. Like they think, oh, I'm gonna get a lesser quality baby, a lesser quality child because I'm using a BB versus an AA or an AB. Like what's the deal with grading embryos? Isn't an embryo an embryo? Yes. Some might be stronger than others, 
but isn't this whole phenomenon like so stressful to people because they're so worried about these minute details of what does AA mean, AB, like all these numbers? Super good question. Um, yeah, the grading, the grading itself is, I don't want to say it's a, it's a problem because it does have a value because, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you make three, you know, three or four good embryos that were worthy of freezing, you, you do everybody, the doctors, the lab, the nurses, the patients, they all want to put back the embryo that they think is going to have the highest probability of implantation, right? But when it comes to grading, in, in the world, there isn't really a standardization. There's different methodologies that people use, but even within those methodologies, it still comes down to the person, the lab person that is grading it. As an example, I'm sorry for everybody that I gave C's to, but I tend to be really strict on my grading. That's just, that's just how I am, how, how I'm wired. And I don't like to give A's unless I really feel like I'm looking at a perf, a perfect intercell mass or a trifectoderm, right? And for those who don't know, intercell mass is, um, essentially the part of the embryo, uh, around day five, day six that becomes the baby and the trifectoderm, which is the kind of the outer bubble, if you will, the part that actually makes contact with the uterus to implant that becomes the placenta and the other supporting apparatuses. That's the part that if you were doing embryo biopsy, that um, you would be removing small, a few cells of to get an idea of the genetic makeup of that embryo. Um, but with, with the grading, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough. There is some correlation. There is kind of like a, uh, a line where an embryo is might be a blast, but it's so poor in its morphology that it doesn't, it's, it, it, it's a little bit of a burden, but it's hard to weigh whether it would be worth putting a couple through the mental gymnastics of I've got an embryo we have a chance going through it thawing the embryo if it's really poor it's going to have a lower survival rate just innately because of the poor cellular integrity um and then is it going to implant right and if it implants is it going to stay implanted there's all these steps so you've got all kinds of scenarios, right? Like uh, if, if, a, if a couple only gets one embryo and it's pretty poor, well, maybe we'll be more likely to freeze it just because we want to give that, that couple just any chance. We know how rough that process is, how many steps they go through for the ladies. Of course, guys, we, we can't lie. They they've got it rough. They've got it way worse than we do. Um, and we do our, we do our best. We do our best. Every, every clinic's different. Some clinics I hear are still, you know, um, freezing early blasts. A lot of them aren't. My clinic, um, is not, not doing that anymore. The way we kind of look at it is if it's not good enough to biopsy, then it's not good enough to freeze. It's not there. It's not in a place where it should be. 
but does that does that answer your question? Do you, you want to have any follow-ups to that? No, that makes sense of how the grades come about, you know, what, mm-hmm. what it is. So guys, don't worry about too much what the grades really mean, because at the end of the day, you know, hopefully the embryo will stick and you'll have, it'll become pregnant and you will have a baby assuming right. it sticks and hopefully it won't end in a miscarriage. But if it does, right. it's okay because one in four pregnancies do end in a miscarriage and one in eight couples do struggle with infertility. So you're not mm-hmm. alone in that. But as far as, you know, talking about the embryos and the blastocysts and all these things, oftentimes I hear couples like myself, we have to do PGD, pre-genetic diagnosis, right? So a lot of times when you're looking for a specific gene or things, I hear sometimes it can't, you know, you lose embryos because you find it or things happen. But what's the deal in terms of blastocysts and embryos lasting longer through freezing when dealing with I guess PGS, pre-genetic, it pre, is it pre, PGT or pre-GS? P- PGT these days, yeah. You know, they keep switching around. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. So if a couple wants to do PG, PGT or PGS, as it used to be called, and they're also doing the PGD and all the grading, does that make it more complicated and embryo to last less because you're doing more testing? When you say, can you clarify what you mean by last less, last less? From what I've heard, correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong, that the more testing you do on an embryo, whether it be for genetics reasons or whether it be for, gen- for gender reasons, whatever it is, the more testing you do on that embryo, the less likely it is to survive. So I think I know what you're asking. Um, you know, feel free to chime in if not. But when you've got a day five or day six embryo and it's hatching out, in general, it is quite easy to grab a few of the trophectoderm cells and essentially cut off. We use a little laser that's on the objective of the microscope itself that cuts through um, the cells and you get maybe, you know, five cells or something. That's really all you're testing. Uh, that's really not going to cause any problems. You know, some people might kind of sound weird, but you're not, we're not really affecting it. And um, we're specifically not uh, going after the inner cell mass. So you also have to keep that into consideration. Yes, you are testing the embryo, but you are not actually testing the part that becomes the baby. So that's a very important thing that some people might not be aware of. Um but we're just not seeing, seeing problems. And, you know, it's all up for debate, which age groups and this and that are best to use PGT. Um, that's all, that's of course up, up for debate that, you know, uh, back in the day when I was doing my master's, I actually wanted to talk about how I didn't think PGT at that time was making a big difference. Right. And of course people would refute and sometimes now it looks better. Sometimes it doesn't, uh, looks worse. Um, but um with with the pgt just trust trust your lab that if they were able to biopsy it it was a good embryo that could handle that manipulation now what might be more of a problem as to what your question is is let's say you thaw an embryo excuse me you biopsy freeze let's say it comes back no result 
uh, or inconclusive results, then some people will say, no, well, we really want to know for X, Y, and Z reasons. And it would be uh, their desire to then thaw that embryo, culture it out for a few hours so that it re-exploring process or the warming process and re-biopsy it again and then freeze it again. So in that case, are we still seeing good results with that being done? Yes. The thawing is quite good. Survivals are so high. I mean, if if a lab doesn't have at least like a 99% survival rate, they're probably behind the times because the, the technology and the solutions that they use for that are, are quite good. Um, I don't, in terms of that, that to me sounds like a lot of manipulation. So we would prefer from from the lab end to not do that. It might be more beneficial just to thaw it and transfer it because that's what, you know, people did for, you know, 20 years before um, the genetic testing came out. But um, uh, it, it is something to consider that the embryo does not gain mass until implantation. So let me, let me say that again. Your, em- your embryo that you're growing in the lab, it's going to be changing forms, but it's not getting any bigger. It's not gaining mass. It's not getting any more material for the most part until it implants and gets that blood supply from the, the mother, in which case it begins to grow. So back in the day, we used to do day three biopsies. Now think about it this way. You have an eight cell day three embryo, let's say grade one, beautiful, just a work of art. This kid's going to go to, you know, uh, Harvard, Yale is really like starting out strong. If you wanted to do biopsy back then, you would have to remove more than one cell because there needs to be a comparison between the cells right? So you get a better idea as to the entire makeup of the the embryo, because you could have one cell that was chromosomally abnormal, but the other ones were corrected or didn't have that. And if you did that, well, then you're removing 25% of that embryo's biomass. It still needs to grow. It still needs to change in morphology and become hatching to remove itself from the zona. Now we do like assisted hatching and all that kind of stuff. And that can really help, but it's just these kinds of things that are all technically part of the process, all very interesting, a little more technical that, you know, uh, no one's really like thinking about, but it's a different perspective that I think is interesting to people. Let's take a a step back Mm -hmm. because even myself having gone through, you know, the IVF process, we have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. So if you could explain to our listeners out there and to everyone who's gone through this, what actually happens when you hand in, I mean, the guys come out of that room and they hand in their sperm and then they get the eggs. Like what actually happens in that process in that room? Like, So, it's nothing crazy. So don't worry. Nobody's uh, doing anything weird. Um, the first thing that everybody always wants to know is, are you taking care of my stuff? Are you sure that that's my husband's sperm? You know, all that stuff is important. So we take, we take it, uh, absolutely a level 10 serious, um, when we're, when we're going back there. So essentially 
uh, from from the wife's side, as some of you who have done IVF would know, the wife spends a whole bunch of time to accrue these follicles, and then she goes into the egg retrieval, and they stick a needle through the wall of the vagina into the ovaries to acquire those eggs. And from the lab's perspective, they the doctor will aspirate out those follicles, and they will go into a tube, Right. That tube is put into a, for in my case, we had a window. We had two separate rooms. We had the OR room and then the lab adjacent to it with a pass through. So there's a little warmer for me there. The tubes go in there to make sure because it is very important that eggs uh, maintain their temperature because they're very sensitive. Um, when it comes to eggs, you only have one cell. So the temperature is important because of the spindles are damaged. There is no repair mechanism for the spindles. And these things connect to the chromosomes and allow them to guide to the uh, opposite poles, which allows the cells to divide. Um, So I take the, the, the tubes and I'm actually pouring them out into a large Petri dish and looking in a microscope to which I am uh, specifically looking for the eggs right? You got to go through a bunch of material. It's, it's, you have to actually go through a searching process. Uh, I am extremely good at the, these physical type of tasks. I do enjoy it. Um, and at that time, the eggs will come in the uh, granulosa cloud, which, you know, creates a bunch, a bunch of things. It reacts with the sperm if you were um, conceiving naturally and um, creates all kinds of hormones and stuff to support that pregnancy and support uh, the body's kind of a journey uh, of um, signaling. And after we uh, get all the, the eggs that we can find um, or that have been removed, I should say, we always find all the eggs. I always find all the eggs. I'm amazing. And uh, those will generally go into an incubator and stay warm. And uh Generally, you don't start processing the sperm unless you know for sure that you're, you have eggs. And so, you know, yes, we've got eggs. The sperm goes through its process, which is essentially uh, centrifugation, uh, um, their density gradient. So they get spun down so that you get a bottom pellet of the correct um, weighted sperm, essentially. And... Uh, the rest is removed and it's resuspended and weighted it until the afternoon. So, uh, you know, usually about noon for us, a little bit after that's when we will, um, it's called stripping or denuding. So all of those cells that come around the egg, those get removed. So you just really have just the, the clean egg for the most part. Uh, it, it allows you to more, uh, effectively and accurately manipulate the egg and uh, inject it in the correct location and, and visualize the sperm entering the cytoplasm. And in which case, after they're um, all, all stripped, you go on this uh, beautiful microscope with what we call micro manipulators. So it's, it really is kind of like a video game. Uh, when I first started my um, lab director, a little bit of an older guy, and he would tell me, my generation is going to make great embryologists because we already naturally have great eye-hand-eye coordination from things like gaming. And uh, so that's very enjoyable. It's uh, 
the same rig that one would use for, for biopsying though, that the methodology would be a little bit different, but uh, we basically just, uh, each egg is separated out in, in different drops on that dish. And we go and we pick up a single sperm and that single sperm gets injected into uh, a single egg. After that process is done, uh, they're going to be put back in to the incubators. And these incubators are kept with strict temperature. And they also have a strict kind of atmospheric um, environment, which is a low oxygen environment to replicate uh, what's going on inside the the, uh, the womb, if you will. And then you kind of wait. And in the morning, uh, about 16 to 18 hours later, you essentially will get these two um, masses that have a nuclear envelope around them. And one is the genetic material from dad and one is from mom. And they kind of often are so close together, they almost look like an infinity sign. And this is a sign of proper fertilization, 2PN, 2 pronuclei. That's what we're looking for. And, you know, once you confirm them, you separate out uh, which ones you're watching, which ones may have degenerated or um, uh, not viable. And then depending on the lab, there'll be different um, observation times throughout the week. So that FERT check is considered day one. Uh, retrieval day is day zero. And we'll watch up to uh, day five and day six. We don't do day seven anymore because the uh, the literature, the data is just showing that a lot, day sevens can technically have a embryo that can make a baby, but the numbers are absolutely so low. Uh, no clinic really, really does that. Some of them do, but, but yeah, they're kind of behind the times. Um, and then, yeah, day five, day six, you're, um, most clinics are not doing fresh transfers anymore. Uh, it's, it seems that people are getting better results by allowing the woman's body to kind of relax after all of that adventuring, if you will, all the hormones, all the drugs, all that whole, all those shenanigans. And then doing a, a frozen embryo transfer later on, it seems to, to work much better. Um, but so, yeah, transfers or freezing or PGT and freezing um, for later dates. And that's kind of the bare, bare minimum. That's the, that's the fun stuff. The boring stuff is all like the, you know, documentation and all that. I'm sure that's uh, always fun because you don't <laughs> want to make any mistakes there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, paperwork is my favorite. <laughs> It has to be. <laughs> no, no, I love the I love the physical stuff. It's just like um, working with with couples who are trying to improve their health. You know, it's it's the work that is just absolutely so enjoyable. You know. So when you talk about couples improving their health, mm-hmm. what are some of the suggestions you suggest? Because I hear all the time, right? What's the common thing when people say improve your health? Number one, mm-hmm. lose weight, eat well, and exercise. Right? Those are the three things that everybody says. You want to improve your health. This is what you got to do, but it's not as easy as that one, two, three. So no, it's, it's, it's not, it's not. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit different. I mean, you, you, you know, you know me, I'm a little bit different than your, uh, your average, uh, consultant, if you will, but I take a much more comprehensive approach to health and it all stems from the basic concept we said earlier that everyone is a biochemical individual everybody, right? So if somebody has got low sperm, 
it's going to be for a reason that's different than their neighbor. If a woman's not ovulating or has PCOS or, um, you know, just having all kinds of hormonal issues, they're going to be all for different reasons. And this is guys, this is the problem with the medical establishment is it does not matter how good of a heart these uh, uh, loving, wonderful practitioners, you know, have. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much they care. Because at the end of the day, the way that they have been taught to address health is from a symptom standpoint. They're looking for symptoms and they're addressing the symptoms directly, but the symptoms are manifestations of problems, right? It's like, you're not overweight because you have a problem with weight. You have, you're overweight because of lifestyle problems, of metabolic dysfunction, of nutritional deficiencies. So what I do is I do not treat symptoms. I help and teach people how to support systems of their own bodies. Right. And all of that is based on quantification. We don't do any guessing. I will never have somebody talk to me and then me say, okay, well, this is what you need to do. No, you will always, always have me go, all right, let's get labs and let's see what's going on underneath the hood. Right. Because this is, this is the real meat and potatoes that nobody's getting. And you and I are on a, um, a mutual uh, uh, men's support uh, group for infertility. And what I will see time and time again, and at times it can be frustrating because you really want to teach, but some people are just not ready to change their perspective, if you will. But people want to know what supplement should I take? What supplement should I take? Well, it just depends, guys. It depends. What are you deficient in? There is a reason why we've all heard of somebody taking a supplement and not feeling anything and not doing anything. Because they're taking it on a presupposition that their body is in need of that molecule. Right? So what we have is a lot of uh, general I um, recommendations that the so IVF or the infertility support, uh, you know, coaches and, and things are telling people, they're telling people, well, you know, eat healthy, like you were saying, move your body. Uh, and then, you know, they might say, take omega threes, they might say, uh, take some zinc, you know, maybe uh, there's a lot of people they are like, Oh, my doctor told me to take CoQ10. And they told me to go on keto. Right? This is so unspecific. It's so unspecific to the individual, right? Like, keto let's 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 think about keto for an example in theory you there's you have eating keto and you have being like uh uh, creating ketones it's it's two separate things one is i'm eating a lot of fat and one is i'm actually in a different metabolic state right and all that the biggest thing there is that you're just becoming efficient at creating energy And that's ketones, because when you create ATP from just fat, technically, there is a lot of ATP to be made. But now, is it important to be keto? No. Guys, you do not have to be keto. Sometimes we can use it as a tool, but it depends on your labs, right? 
I can um, look at your organic acids test and see that you are terrible, terrible at metabolizing fats, right? You're bad at turning fats into you. Well, that's a problem because now if you're going to go on keto, you're actually going to make yourself sicker and worse. And that goes for any, any diet. You know, I'm not, I'm not huge on the, um, the fad diets. Uh, if anything, they can be tools at times, but what people need to understand is that a lot of people are deficient in things because they're leaving food groups out. So should you eat nuts and seeds? Yes, you should eat nuts and seeds, but like an ounce at a time, if you measure out an ounce, guys, it's not that much, but just an ounce at a time. Why? Because these foods are very high in certain minerals like copper and zinc. You don't want to have toxic amounts of anything in your body. So you want to eat a varied and diverse diet. That's what it is. Yes, you should eat grains. Yes, you should eat all of the, the, uh, the vegetables. Yeah. Have, have one or two pieces of fruit. Some people think fruit, fruit is like a, you know, something's bad about fruit. I mean, people come up with everything, you know, and what you find is the, kind of the health, the health community, the social media health people, they're all just repeating what other people say because of the pressure of having to create content, right? I actually do not love creating content because I want to be working. I want to, I much prefer to be working with clients, but it's, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a necessary evil in order to, to spread the love. But um, if you ever ask somebody a question, they don't ask you any follow-up information about the context of you before they give recommendations. You have to understand that they don't know anything. They don't know anything. Um, so yeah, well, what, what often what we're trying to do is we're trying to see what is it that you need and let's do that. How can Daniel optimize how his body turns food into himself how do how do we optimize his ability to um, produce energy okay well if you have enough atp that means there's a lot of processes that you're going to be able to run very well right for some reason no one is thinking about well what do what my amino acids look like what am i what's my urea cycle look like how about minerals who's looking at minerals minerals are so important Vitamins, super important. Why is nobody testing these things? Like, you know, we're, we're generally talking to men right now. And guys, we, we get, we get cars and watches and, and, and these types of enjoyable things, right? Take a watch. Beautiful. How about a, a nice Omega? You know, a nice old school one, an automatic watch. You open it up and you go, wow, look at that engineering. Look at, all of the precision in that watch, that watch is your body, okay? It doesn't matter how many wonderful mechanisms are in that watch. If you take out one of those gears, the whole thing doesn't work. So this is what I'm talking about. If you're missing the right amount of minerals or vitamins that are the cofactors for all these processes to work in your body, if they're not there, how do you expect things to be optimized? How do you expect uh, fertility to be high? Right? 
in nature. We know that uh, many animals, in, well, in general, all the animals, but there, there are caveats, but when they are stressed, whether it be, you know, they're in danger or, um, yeah, like danger from being hunted or uh, um, not enough food sources, not enough water sources. Animals don't reproduce in these situations. So we have to think about ourselves sometimes as animals. Now we live in a world where we are high stress. We have more things that technically don't matter to think about, organize, and master now than we did a hundred years ago, right? There's more toxins. There's more um, uh, holes in our routines. It's it's hard to have routines. You know, we're not drinking good quality water. Most of us are not spending any time outside. So our circadian rhythm is is all jacked up. If it's, If the circadian rhythm is jacked up, how are you supposed to make hormones? Hormones are all cycles throughout the day. And if your body doesn't know what time it is, well, how is it supposed to have the proper cascades of these hormones to create sperm, to create eggs, to create ovulation, right? So it's all, we have all these factors. And it's if we really, really think about it, no wonder so many people are having problems with infertility. Wow. No wonder sperm is declining, right? The amounts and the quality of these sperm. No wonder... People are are more overweight, are looking uh, less healthy, less vibrant, right? No wonder we're having more um, emotional struggles with dealing with the journey. Uh, there's all these things. And if we look really, really broad, um, we can we can really figure this stuff out, but it's just not so it's not so linear. You know, if you're an individual that's looking for a, a gizmo or a gadget or a pill or a potion, uh, it's you're going to be hard pressed. Some people will get lucky. I, I have to admit, some people will get lucky, but it's more of a it's more about time. It's more about time. How much time does a couple want to allow to a lot you know, to pass by before they kind of, I guess, if you want to say, pull out the, the big guns? Yeah. I wouldn't say that fertility is a ticking time bomb because of technology these days, but you know, the natural body clock, people are getting married older. People are having kids a lot older, you know, where our bodies are, we're not necessarily ticking time back because of, because of science, but at the same time there, as you age, the more work you take on, the more stressed you'll become and stress mm-hmm. definitely plays a role in high stress situations with how you produce, how, how you feel. Like this is why I tell people that when you're going through the IVF process, it's so stressful that how important it is to just take a vacation, right? You're, you're right. in that two week wait. It's so right. stressful. Just right. head out, do something like if you can, because otherwise you go crazy. Yeah. Like, well, I'll tell you, cause mindset is, is a super important aspect of the, of the, um, the healing and the journey and the process. And some people will get mad at me, but I got to be true to myself. I think the concept of trigger warning is terrible. I think, Why? It, I think it sets the standard so low for uh, 
what what we're expecting of others i think it puts it puts let's say i want to tell my story why is it that i should feel pressure to not tell my story even though it would do me so much good to share but i'm thinking about the possibility that somebody even though they shouldn't be because they're not emotionally stable is on a platform, which they shouldn't be on if they're not in the right mindset, consuming my material. And now I'm worried about what their experience is going to be like, but it's my infertility. It's my journey. I'm connecting with the community for help and camaraderie and community. Why do I have to um, be so concerned that someone can't even handle reading something, even though they're in a place for reading that exact type of thing. I hear what you're saying because everybody, not just in reading the trigger posts, like obviously everybody has their triggers and why people like all the admins put a trigger warning, you know, don't because it might cause someone to go down a dark, deep hole. Right. But at the same time, the same can be said for WebMD, right? You're experiencing XYZ symptoms of this type of thing. And you're going through this treatment and that treatment. And all of a sudden you're going down a deep, dark hole of the internet plunge of how do I feel? How do I deal with this specific Israel trying to self-diagnose it? So right. <laughs> the idea of trigger warning, yes, I hear what you're saying in terms of, you're right. You want to share your story just because it's bothering someone else, right? They shouldn't click on the page. But I guess there's a sensitivity, so to speak. Like people are trying to be, sensitive to others who are who have gone through it so this way oh if they yeah. see trigger warning they could mm-hmm. skip over that post and just go to the next post i think that's what's the well ab- absolutely absolutely i just um have a high standard for for men i have a high standard for men i think uh, everything is so black and white and it's no i want to play in the grays i want to be manly and also have emotions i want to get to work and find something functional that I can do in the meantime during this terrible journey. But I also want to, um, you know, hear other people's stories. I want to feel the sadness. I want to allow myself to experience these things. Um, I think men should be men, right? Men are the rocks and foundations of their families and as they should be. I think that is that is our role and that is a blessing. It is wonderful. I don't think it is a negative at all. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry that that some men don't feel like they can do that. I know the road is really, really tough, but sometimes it's a mindset thing. And once you clear the mindset up, you go, oh, yeah, I am strong. Oh, yeah, I can carry this burden for my wife and myself and I can get through this. She can look at me and see the look on my face that we can do this. It will be okay. You know, what you're saying is is right on. I think what it comes down to based on what you're saying, what's very true is communication is so very important, right? Yes, we Mm -hmm. are the rock as men. We're supposed to be strong. It's supposed to hold it up together. But without that communication, then, you know, you can't get, get through it. But mm-hmm. also getting, getting, you know, being that rock and looking at all the things that you want to accomplish, men need to really look at it and say, who am I? 
You know, if you pick a, something that you say like, yes, I'm going through infertility. Yes, I'm going, I'm going through infertility. I'm going through pregnancy loss. But at the same time, I am a guy, I am a husband, I am strong, I'm a believer. If you have all of these mindsets and you commit to having those thoughts, then you'll be strong in this journey. Yes, you are strong. Every single man that is listening to this right now, I guarantee you, you are stronger than you think, right? Not one of you went through infertility and all the, can, can I say bullshit? All the bullshit that all that infertility was, right? You, you didn't think that you could do something like that, but you're still here. You got through it anyway, even when you didn't think that you could, right? It's tough. And I know infertility, right? To, to share a little bit about, about my story with infertility. Um, my, my wife and I, we did have, uh, some troubles getting pregnant, though I, I can't say that maybe we, tr- she, maybe in her head, she was trying really hard, but I wasn't in the mindset of, of trying really hard, but, uh, you know, we had this wonderful trip to Hawaii and, you know, we rented an Airbnb. I rented a Jeep as cliche as that was. We drove around, had wonderful time, swam with the the dolphins and the manta rays and all that kind of stuff. And on that trip, we got pregnant finally. And it was wonderful and it was glorious and it was amazing to see how happy my wife was because she's one of those, uh, one of those ladies that just wants to be a mom. That's what it's all about. She just wanted to be a mom and ain't nothing wrong with that. And we got to six weeks or sorry, six months of her being pregnant, 26 weeks. And, uh, we found out that we had lost our son. And, uh, it was really tough. Um, of course I was angry. I think I was mostly angry that my wife couldn't just have the thing that she wanted. I think I was more upset for her than I was for myself. And, um, very tough time, dark time guys. I know infertility can put a lot of strain on, uh, relationships and have you asking a lot of questions that there are no answers to, and that's okay. So it, 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 it was, it was, that was a hard time, especially because uh, my wife was so far along that she had to be induced and deliver our son. And it was a weird feeling. It was a weird feeling to have the opportunity to hold my son that I would never get to talk to, would never get to do any of like the the dad things with this person that I has my likeness, has my skin, you know, has these features on, on him that are, that's definitely my son, even though he was, you know, didn't weigh that much, but getting to hold him and just having such a hard time, just wanting, wanting maybe to feel those emotions. Cause they're just so intense. Cause in my brain, I'm, I'm a very functional type man. It's like, well, what can I do with this? If I, if I feel too sad, how is that going to get me anywhere, if you will. And that was tough. It was tough. Really tough to see, to see the misses go through that kind of stuff too. 
I mean, I just was standing there. She went through the whole labor process with, without the pay, the payoff, you know? Um, and yet nobody asked you how you felt or how you were doing in that room. Everyone was asking me, how's Mariam, my wife. It's true. It's true. Um, but to be fair, I don't know how, how I would answer the question. I'm not a big feeler. I'm a thinker. People could ask me, what do I think about it? But what do I feel about it? Might've been a, a little bit more challenging to, to come up with an answer. Um, yeah, it's pr- pretty challenging. And then you've have, uh, maybe you guys also have experienced this, but when you go through infertility and you go through a loss, a lot of people will come out of the woodwork and tell you that they went through the same thing. A lot of people will suddenly share, Hey, I also went through um, a miscarriage. I do know how you feel. And guess what? It didn't help me at all. <laughs> it didn't help me at all because most of those people never had to hold their kid, you know? So yeah, you had a loss, but your story is so different than mine, but I think the sharing was cool. I think it was cool to realize how many people really are struggling in this day and age to, uh, to have a child and to get there, to get to the finish line. Right. So after that, um, it was tough for a little while. You know, you got to wait until everyone's mentally ready to have a kid again. And I told, I told my wife, Hey, how about, we go and we get some labs done, the ones that I would use for my clients, and let's clean up some stuff. Let's be a little bit more rigorous about our uh, environmental factors, you know, fix our circadian rhythm, get the hormones going, you know, fix those nutritional deficiencies, make sure we're eating enough, make sure we're not eating too much, um, and, and jumpstart everything. Because after our loss, it took us another 14 months to, to get pregnant again. But we did get pregnant again, right? And the funny thing is, even after all the changes, I kid you not, as I said, lifestyle, mindset, environment, nutrition. Mindset is a really big, big thing here. And, I, and it's a lot harder for the ladies, guys. So I'm so sorry. I know, I know, this, I know the, the struggles that you may have with, with trying to aid in a... Uh, uh, constructive mindset, but once we kind of mellowed out and stopped stressing so hard, that's when we got pregnant. And I think a lot of people have that same story about that moment where they said, ah, forget about it. I'm just, yeah, I don't care anymore. And then for some reason, boom, you know, you get that magic. So despite that sad story, very unfortunate. Uh, life, life isn't meant to be fair. So I don't think of it as such. I don't, I don't hold any entity or higher power. Uh, you know, I'm not, ma- I'm not upset at the universe for, you know, dealing me that hand. Um, but a month ago we had our rainbow baby. We have baby Theodore. I have a son and it's a beautiful turn to the story. In that hospital, we had the same doctor and same nurse who delivered our first one, deliver deliver our second one. And it was just a beautiful story and a beautiful way to kind wow. of close out that circle, man. Full circle. Life is full circle. 
there's ups Beautiful, and there's man. downs and mm-hmm. you know amazingly yeah. had the same doctor deliver that baby i'm sure oh, it was awesome what it people awesome. need to real what guys need to realize is there is light at the end of the tunnel we can't tell yes. you when we can't tell you how or what the pregnancy is going to be like but what we can tell you is that you got to believe you got to have hope you got to be optimistic and the dream will happen at some point there are so many ways now that you can have a child and when that does happen you know even though you might still think about that miscarriage that loss that infertility struggle yes it will come back at least you can say, whoa, I spent those hundreds and thousands of dollars and now look what it's brought, you know, look what it's brought me. So. Right. Right. There, it's, it, it's a grind. Daniel, I remember when we were talking, you know, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, there was a point that I wanted to, to mention while we had some listeners here, uh, fellas, some, most, most of us as men, we want to do something. We want to be more functional. We want to be more proactive. So whereas our wives perhaps are more captivated by the emotion and the struggle of the journey, because I mean, they do have a lot going on. And especially if they're participating in IVF, it is a, an extremely difficult journey. But us guys, we're kind of fidgety. It's like, ah, I kind of don't really want to want to linger on these feelings too long. I want to feel them, but I want to, to then get proactive. I'm telling you getting some labs and addressing your specific needs. That's what it is. Cleaning up your environment at home, all these kinds of things, reducing the toxins in your life. So your body can do what it was um, designed to do. That's what it's all about. And I think a lot of guys, we just want to do something. Just give me the thing. That's the thing that you're missing. That's the thing that you can focus on. Right. The mindset of a guy is always, I want to fix it. Right. Men are trained to, how do we solve and fix the situation? Sometimes. I I just want you to listen. I don't want you to fix it. (laughs) In this case, they might actually want you to fix it though. That's true. You know, so the (laughs) the point being here, guys, you have an opportunity here to realize that you're not alone in this struggle. The guy to your left, the guy to your right could have gone through it. One in four pregnancies ended in a miscarriage. One in eight couples struggle with infertility. One in 160 births ended in a stillbirth. And one in a thousand babies die of SIDS every year. So, yes, you might not want to be in this club, this exclusive club. Who knows why you were chosen? (laughs) Who knows why you were chosen for it? But you are not alone. We're here for you. We're here to help you on this journey. We're here. We're here to make sure that you feel comfortable talking to one another. We're here to facilitate community within, within community. And uh, I'm sure Mark, you know, would be happy to speak with you and offer words of wisdom and advice and help you on your fertility journey to having a child. Absolutely. Remember guys, infertility is increasing. It's not you. Well, sometimes it, it, it can be your decisions, but what I'm trying to get at is the world is changing and a lot of those changes are affecting everyone's fertility. Those numbers are going up. So take control of those factors, take control of them. And you may be surprised. Many, many of you will be surprised at that amazing feeling of putting in the work and seeing the results. 1000%. 
before we before we jump off, what would be your parting words of advice to the guys out there in the infertility, stillbirth, miscarriage world? Ah, so many things could be said, but guys, it's okay to feel. I know it's tough. For for me, I was focused so much on being there for my wife that I kind of stopped feeling there for a little bit. Um, if that's you, uh, it's okay, but you got to come back. You got to come back into balance. You got to come back into balance and that the balance can be in many ways. Mindset is one of them, but also your physiology. Um, you You can do this. I know it's tough, but as much as you can try do not define yourself by your ability to reproduce. Try to define yourself by many things, like how you love others, how you're there for others, how you serve others, how you take care of your wife, how you make people smile, the moments how you enjoy the sun on your face or the wind blowing on, on a, you know, a nice spring day that we would be having. Find many ways to describe yourself. This might be harder for the ladies. There's so much pressure, but you are so much more than your infertility. Those are wise words and such good parting advice to all of us. Thank you once again, Mark, for Mm -hmm. coming on the show. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you all and continuing the conversation. You are not alone. Thank you. I'll just uh, give these guys a way to contact me if they're interested. Um, if you guys have Instagram, it's mark.fertility. And if you would like to have a complimentary discovery call where you can kind of share your story and we can talk and uh, you can see if uh, balance protocol is a methodology of framework that you would be interested in pursuing, you can go to my website, which is Mark Henain, which is spelled H-E-N-E-I-N dot com. And that's it. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. This podcast is awesome. Guys, show him some love. What an amazing service. We we really appreciate you, all of us. Absolutely. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.